Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, hey there, Bible Center family. It's good to see you here this morning. Thanks for uh, coming out to our our service. I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor. If we haven't yet had the chance to meet, I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, I'll be down front because our services are so close together. Typically after this service, I hang out down front, but would love to meet you, answer any questions that you have, uh, pray with you. Again, thank you uh, for being here. Also want to welcome those who are joining us online and uh, those who are joining us on TV. It's great to have you uh, as well. If you would take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of James, James chapter one, James chapter one. And while you're turning there, I just wanna make a couple quick announcements. One announcement uh, is about Dr. Greg Allison coming this coming weekend. Uh, Pastor Mike will say more about it at the end of the service, uh, but we have about 30 or so folks signed up right now, which is actually amazing for our church. Uh, We are a uh, kind of a last minute culture, I being one of them. Uh, But if we have 30 signed up a week out, that means we're probably going to have like 3,000 by next weekend. And so be sure to go online, go on the app and check it out and sign up. Child care is provided, uh, totally free, but we do want to make sure we have enough seats and enough snacks. The second announcement pertains to our deacons and our elders. Uh, Every February as a church, we nominate uh, those who we believe fulfill the biblical qualification of a deacon and an elder. And so if you're a member, I encourage you to read through 1 Timothy 3, read through it prayerfully. And if the Lord puts someone on your heart, be sure to nominate them. You can do that uh, through all the bells and whistles we have with technology, but you can also do that uh, by just writing a note, a card, dropping it in the response box, or letting any of our pastors know, and we'll make sure that gets onto uh, the nominating committee. Well, we certainly live in a world of tests, don't we? We live in a world of tests. All of us have taken COVID tests. So we have our oldest in college. She's taken college tests. Our middle, uh, as you know, now turns 16 uh, today. And so this month, sometime, she'll be taking her driver's test. I'll be calling our insurance agent, who's also a member of our church, and asking him, begging him for mercy. And then uh, our youngest is uh, takes spelling tests at grade school. He's a student at Bible Center School. Uh, he takes spelling tests. Uh, this past week, I took a one-mile test at Orange Theory to do kind of a t- determine a baseline for my one-mile run. I did about as well on that test as my son did on his spelling test. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, we live in a world of tests. But what if, what if there were a test to determine your spirituality? I mean, just imagine, what if there was a test you could take to determine, like on a scale of one to 10, how spiritual you are? Now, we know and we talk about it all the time that our righteousness is in Jesus. And so because we have his righteousness in the eyes of God the Father, Uh, We have a 10 out of 10 in the eyes of the Father. But practically speaking, what if we could just take a test to know how we're doing in the Christian life? Well, the good news is such a test exists. There is such a test, and we're going to talk about that today. God has built in such a test, not just in the Bible, but he's built it into each and every one of us. I like to think of today's message a lot like a practice test. Today is the practice test. Some of you took practice tests when you were in school. I love practice tests because they help you get ready for the real test. 
Like you can totally bomb a practice test, but you know that what you can, you know what you have to study more of to be ready for the real test. Well, if today is like the practice test, the real test is when you stand before God. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. One of the prophets said, prepare to meet your God. So in other words, you've got a test day coming when you're going to stand before the Lord. And so my goal today in this practice test is to help us prepare so that we can make any course corrections between now and then. Today's message is very simple. I'm going to give you one thing to know, one thing to do, tell you why we should do it, and then close with the secret uh, to making that change. Close with the secret to making that change. Here's what I want you to know. Here's today's big idea. The true test of transformation is how you tame your tongue. The true test of transformation is how you tame your tongue. God has built in a gauge in every single human being. It's about a three-inch gauge in our mouth called the tongue that actually is the indicator of how we're doing spiritually. It's phenomenal to think about. We could say it this way, how you tame your tongue is the true test of your transformation. The greatest test of spiritual maturity is how you tame your tongue. You say, Matt, where do you get that? Well, we get that from James chapter 1 and verse 26. In James 1, 26, James says, those who consider themselves religious, don't we like to consider ourselves religious? Those who consider themselves religious, Lord, I, I want to be religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. The true test of your transformation is how you tame your tongue. Now, the book of James is all about growing spiritually. The book of James is about being wholly transformed into the image of Jesus. So it's no surprise that every chapter of this little book talks about our language. It talks about our tongue, every single chapter. So one of the marks of us being an immature believer is that we have an untamed tongue. And one of the marks that we are a mature or maturing believer is that we know how to hold our tongue. The truth is, all of us who are Jesus followers are on the spectrum somewhere. We're on that spectrum of spiritual growth. None of us have arrived. And so we're still growing, we're still learning. So I want you to take the test today and kind of ask yourself, ask the Lord, where am I on this transformation scale? Proverbs 27 or 1727 says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Now, some have said, maybe you know someone who has said this, well, Matt, I'm just the kind of person who speaks my mind. I'm just the kind of person who speaks my mind. In our day and age, there's this badge of authenticity and transparency, and I'm all for authenticity, and I'm all for transparency, but do not, I love you, 
Do not be the man or woman who speaks his or her mind. You don't want to be that person. You say, why? Well, because what God says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, a fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in until afterward. I included that in the King James. Some of us grew up on the King James. We need a little keepeth and uttereth in our life this morning. Proverbs 29, 20 says, do you see someone who speaks in haste? By the way, that's my spiritual gift, if you didn't know, speaking in haste. I don't wanna be that person anymore. There is more hope for a fool than for them. The true test of transformation is how you tame your tongue. So that's the one thing God wants us to know. What does God want us to do? What does God want us to do? We see it here in James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Where would you say we as a culture fall with that verse, James 1.19? Do you think we do it in that order or do you think we have it out of order a little bit? Probably out of order. Even in this Christian rage culture where Christians sometimes see themselves as great warriors of culture, if we're not careful, we will be the type of people who are the opposite of James 1.19, will be quick to speak, quick to become angry, and slow to listen. God invites us away from that. Proverbs 18.13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Proverbs 21, 23, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. So God wants you to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So we've talked about the one thing God wants you to know. We've talked about the one thing God wants you to do. Now let's ask the question, why does God want us to do this? Like, what's the big deal? Lord, why did James put such a premium on being slow to speak? Well, he's gonna tell us why in chapter three. So if you would turn with me to James chapter three, he's gonna give us three quick reasons why we should be slow to speak. Number one, be slow to speak because... If you're quick to tell others what to do, you'll face stricter judgment on judgment day. Because if you're quick to tell others what to do, you'll face stricter judgment on judgment day. We see this in chapter three and verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, before we talk about teachers, let's just talk about all of us for a moment. All of us, of course, we instruct someone, maybe it's our children, maybe it's someone at work. Uh, We usually teach somebody something, but Jesus had something to say whether we are teachers or not. Verse Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Why must we be slow to speak? 
Well, it's because those who are quick to tell others what to do will face stricter judgment on judgment day. I read this week, sociologists tell us that we talk for about one-fifth of our lives. One-fifth of our lives, our mouths are open and we're talking to somebody. The typical person fills up a 50-page book worth of words in one day. Now, I realize we're not all the typical person, right? Maybe you're more introverted, a little more quiet. So maybe you're a 40-page-a-dayer, right? Maybe you're a little louder. Maybe you're several hundred pages a dayer. You know who you are. But, but the typical person in a year's time fills up 91 books of 200 pages each with their words. That's a whole lot to give an account for on Judgment Day. Now, in chapter 3, verse 1, James is very specific here about teachers. He's mentioning that we who teach are actually going to give greater account for what we say. This past week, I had lunch with one of our elders, Joe Martin. I love Joe, and Joe and I were just talking about the book of James. And James, is he's teaching through the book of James in his class on Sunday night, And I said, Joe, what is the one verse in James that scares you the most? And quickly, he said, James chapter three and verse one. I was like, I am right there with you, brother, because we are going to give greater account for what we say. But thankfully, James, as a teacher, reminds us that perfection isn't the standard. Notice verse two. I'm so thankful for James's honesty. We all stumble in many ways. I have that verse underlined and highlighted. We all stumble. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And we don't know what was going through James's mind, but I have a feeling that James was probably remembering some of the things he had said to his brother, Jesus. Jesus was his half brother. Maybe they shared a bunk bed. Maybe they shared a bedroom. We don't know. But you can imagine James growing up with Jesus, perhaps some of the things he would have said to Jesus before he became a Jesus follower, which by the way, didn't happen until after the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I mean, think about what it would have been like though for a moment to be James. James talks to his mother, Mary, and Mary says, James, why can't you just be like your older brother, Jesus? Now, let's have a little sympathy for him, right? Like, that really doesn't seem fair. Uh, But nevertheless, James probably is remembering things he had complained about to Mary, maybe even things he had said as an adult, maybe even things he had said as a pastor of the Jerusalem church. James is honest here. We all stumble. No one has fully mastered the tongue in this life except Jesus It's a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute struggle. Nevertheless, it's important that we stay in the battle, striving for maturity and endeavoring to control our tongues. A tamed tongue is a hallmark of spiritual maturity. Here's what James is saying. Your spiritual maturity is not determined by how well you pray. Your spiritual maturity is not determined by how well you or I preach. 
Your spiritual maturity is not determined by how well you sing or how much you serve or how involved you are. None of that is the litmus test for spiritual maturity. All of that can be done by immature people. But James says the litmus test for our true spiritual maturity is how well we have tamed our tongues. It's so important to James and it's so important to Jesus. Why be slow to speak? Because if you're quick to tell others what to do, you're gonna face stricter judgment on judgment day. Why be slow to speak? Number two, because your words can help or hurt every other area of your life. Because your words can help or they can hurt every other area of your life. Notice verse three. According to James, our words affect every area of our life like a horse. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now I have to ask, how many of you have ridden a horse? Anybody here ridden a horse? Okay, some of you, maybe you, you have horses. I know a few of you, your children are learning to ride horses. Horses are a, a beautiful, beautiful animal. I've not ridden too many horses in my life. I went to Camp Alpine down in Beckley as a kid, but that really didn't count because like the horses had made that trip like 10 million times. They knew where they were going and you could basically like take your hands off the reins and they would still go wherever they were gonna go. But the summer after Sarah and I were married, we worked on a horse farm for a summer. I worked at a machine shop. You've heard me talk a lot about the machine shop. Well, the owner of the machine shop owned a camp and he had a horse farm on the camp. He knew I had just gotten married and he said, hey, if you and your new bride wanna go and spend the summer out at the horse farm, it's it's a lot of work, uh, but I'll make it worth your while. And so he did and we had a lot of fun. Uh, We both had riding shoes, believe it or not, right? If you you can picture that, your pastor in riding shoes. We had riding shoes. Um, We... Uh, there were a number of Arabian horses in the barn, beautiful animals. And we knew we were only gonna be there for the summer, so we were like the people who brushed the horses and you know, petted the horses and did all the things that no one else really wanted to do. But we had a great time. But occasionally, we got to ride the horses. And I remember this one occasion, there was this stubborn horse that Sarah had kind of fallen in love with and she wanted to ride. And so she had petted him and brushed him and, and she just thought, you know, we've, we've bonded. And so she gets on this one horse and he was broken, but barely broken, if you know what that means. And, and so she gets on the horse, and we go across the, the pasture and I can still see it, I still see it. 22 years ago, babe, this summer, I still see it. She goes up on the side of this little hill, riding majestically, having a great time. And then the horse like stops and he tries to start bucking, start, tries to start throwing her off. And I can't do anything. I'm like on the other side of the pasture, and even if I was right beside her, I, I couldn't have done anything. And so I'm just like, it's like all happening in slow motion. I can still see it in my mind. I'm like, what's gonna happen? What is she gonna do? And all of a sudden, Sarah takes her hand and she rears back like she's gonna hit a tennis ball. She rears back and she smacks that horse on the side of the neck, right, right, right about here, right? And I can still see it. That horse just stood to attention. Let me tell you, I learned my lesson 22 years ago. That's why I haven't crossed her ever since. I'm just kidding. I got permission to share that. Verse four, or take ships as an example. Are they so large? They're so large and driven by strong winds. They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. 
He's used the illustration of a horse. Now he uses the illustration of a rudder. A rudder is that small flat piece hinged vertically near the stern of the boat for steering. It's the flap that turns. If you've ever seen pictures of a cruise ship, these large ocean liners still have rudders. And the small little rudder at the back has the power to control the whole ocean liner. What James is saying is this. Just as the small bit in the horse and just as the small rudder on the ship control the whole boat, our tongues have the potential to affect everything else in life. It has the potential to affect our families. It has the potential to affect our careers. It has the potential to affect our, our friends for good and for evil. Verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He's used the illustration of the boat, the illustration of the horse. Now he's used the illustration of a fire. All three of these things start small. The average human tongue is about three inches in length. There's a lot of muscles, they're rooted in the bone, but the average human tongue is about three inches in length. Now, a cow's tongue is a lot bigger, um, significantly bigger. I remember the first time I ever ate cow's tongue, which also happened to be the last time I ate cow's tongue. We were in Sao Paulo, Brazil for a mission trip, and the dear lady of the house wanted to bless the mission team, and so she served us all cow tongue. I'm looking at my buddy from Brazil like, is this what I think it is? He's like, yeah, shut up and eat. And so you cut up little small pieces and you put it in your mouth and you take a, a drink of something. That was, that was cow. I have no idea what that has to do with the sermon. But anyway, the human tongue is small and it affects everything. He says in verse six, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Just as fires grow out of control, so our words can grow out of control. On October 8th, 1871, a great fire engulfed much of Chicago. Over 100,000 people were left homeless 17,500 buildings were destroyed and 300 people died. I read this week, there's a couple of different theories about where this great Chicago fire started. Nobody knows for sure. Most authorities agree that it started in or around Mrs. O'Leary's barn. And one legend says that at about 8.30 one evening, the cow tipped over a lantern in Mrs. O'Leary's barn that then set off a chain of reactions for the entire Chicago fire. Let me ask you this. What lanterns are you kicking over in your life right now? Are you kicking over any lanterns at home? Are you kicking over any lanterns at school, in your dorm room? Are you kicking over any lanterns with, with people that you work with? What lanterns are you kicking over? Are you kicking over any lanterns in our church? So you think it's a small thing, but when you loosen your tongue and you let it go, you have the potential to start a fire that can destroy a lot of things. And so God invites us to control our 
tongues. Why? Because your words can help or hurt every other area of your life. The third and final reason he gives about why we should be slow to speak is in verse seven. Because your words can help or hurt the people around you. Your words can help or hurt the people around you. And so in the previous verses, he's talking about how your words actually direct your own life. But now he's gonna say your words can help or hurt or direct the lives of others. Verse seven, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's amazing what we can train our animals to do, isn't it? Some of you have dogs, maybe you have cats. We can train our animals to do amazing things. Our dog, Sabi, he's the youngest, he's two, he's a puppy. Uh, he, he's trained to know when to get up. Like he knows six days a week, he pretty much knows when it's time to get up, with or without an alarm. Now, what we don't like is on Saturdays, because he doesn't understand Saturday. We gotta train him to figure out, okay, Saturday, buddy, you don't get us up at the same time. You can sleep in like everybody else. But he will literally like crawl, even this morning, if he thinks it's time to get up, he will crawl to the edge of the bed, getting ready to jump off. Because when he jumps off, the party started. Like it's on for the rest of the day. He's not getting back in bed. And so he crawls and Cesare will like grab one leg and I'll grab the other one of his legs just to keep him from crawling off the bed because he thinks he's being sneaky, you know, 65 pound furball being sneaky across the bed. But we can train our animals to do amazing things. But for some reason, God's, God says we, we can't seem to get our tongues under control. I'll ask you, how many of you would say that you in your lifetime have accidentally accidentally hurt someone with your tongue. Would anybody be honest enough to say that? My hand is raised. How many of you would say, I have purposely, I knew it was gonna hurt and I did it anyway. How many of you purposely hurt somebody with your tongue? Okay, my, both of my hands are raised, yeah. Maybe you're more of the passive aggressive type. Maybe you're, you're not really like gonna overtly hurt someone with your language, but maybe you're more the passive aggressive type. You like to kind of do one of those like, those little shivs. You just love to, just to poke and just, just hit people and kind of aggravate, and make little smart aleck comments and you know what pushes people's buttons. Maybe that's more you. Whatever you, your, your personality is, notice verse nine. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. When we rip someone apart, we're ripping someone apart who's made in the image of God. We believe in the sanctity of life, do we not? We believe in the sanctity of life. So why do we not treat one another with more respect? Why is it if we believe in the sanctity of life that we will take our thumbs and create text threads and completely destroy someone or undermine the motives of someone because we think we're so smart that we see their hearts? Why do we gossip? Why do we slander? Why do we build cases against people with a divisive spirit, always complaining, always badgering? Why do we do that? 
if we know that people are created in the image of God? Proverbs 20, 18, 21. And oh, how James is so connected with Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Students, students are taking their lives almost every day in our country, not because of drug abuse, not because of mental illness, but because someone bullied them, badgered them, and would not let it go. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Is it ever okay to have hard conversations as brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it ever okay to do that? Absolutely we can do that. That's the beauty of being saved but waiting on heaven. We're saved, but our tongues are not fully saved like they're going to be when God makes all things new. So we can have hard conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. But let's just make sure that we remember Proverbs 12, that the goal of that conversation is to bring healing, not just to be right. The goal is to bring healing. If your goal is not to bring healing, don't have the conversation. Wait another day. Wait another week. Because it's not worth it. One of the verses I hear a lot, which is a true verse. It's in the Bible. Therefore, it's true is Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. This particular verse, I was surprised when I moved back here to Charleston, my hometown, my home state. I was surprised at how much I heard this verse. Uh, And I've got my theories about why I hear it. And it's true, because again, it's in the Bible. But let me encourage those of us who grew up in a fundamentalist background, legalistic background, who may still have more of that influence on us than we imagine. Let me encourage you, notice the word friend in verse 6. This verse does not give you the right to say anything you want to say to anybody at any time. It doesn't. You might be right, but it doesn't give you the right Make sure they're your friend. And so that it's important that we develop those relationships and we nourish those relationships. Maybe you're the type of person who says, nobody will listen to me. Everybody just is, as I'm suffering persecution. No, people just can't be around you because you're so harsh. Let's be careful. One of the things I've learned in learning is to ask permission when you want to have a hard conversation. So if I wanted to have a hard conversation with Jamie or he wanted to have a hard conversation with me, Jamie might say, hey, man, is this a good time to have a hard conversation? And I might have just, my dog might have just died. I might have just got a flat tire. I might have just, you know, got sick on, who knows? I have the right to tell Jamie, no, man, it's not a good time. It's not a good time. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, next month. That courtesy would go a long way in creating more unity in our families and in the body of Christ. James 2.13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Is God the God of judgment? Yes. But he's also the God of mercy. Is he the God of truth? Yes. But he's also the God of grace. But what James is saying here is if we know what's best for us, if we have the choice between truth or grace, we'll choose grace. If we know what's best for us and we have the choice between judgment or mercy, we'll choose mercy. Because he says, whatever tool we pull out of the tool bag is the one God's gonna pull out of the tool bag for us on judgment day. So if you're the type of person who says, I always speak my mind, everybody has to hear what I say, God says there is coming a day everybody will hear what you have to say. And it will not be a good day. Let's remember mercy. Why be slow to speak? Because your words can help or hurt the people around you. Where does change take place? What's the secret to change? In closing, he gives us the secret to change. I'll say it this way. Let Jesus change your heart. Let Jesus change your heart. Notice what James says in verse 11. He doesn't use the heart illustration. He uses a a spring and a root. Notice what he says. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a, a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James, being a, a, a good Jew, uses good Hebrew imagery here. Essentially, he compares our bodies, our lives, even our souls to a spring. And he says, the water that's coming out of your mouth comes from the spring way down here. He also uses the imagery of the tree or the the branch, and he says, whatever's growing out here comes from the root that's in here. Jesus used an image that we're more familiar with. He used the image of the heart in Matthew 15. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So let Jesus change your heart before you ever approach changing your words. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, my encouragement to you is to give your heart to Christ. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept him as your savior. Accept him as your Lord. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Turn and trust Christ. That's the beginning of the transformation process. But all of us in here who are believers know that's not the end of the transformation process. We're still a work in progress, every one of us. So how can you as a Christian let God change your heart? It may be that you need to get back and spending time in God's word every day. It may be that you need to talk with a friend. James is going to say later, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. You might need to have coffee with a friend this week and say, I need some help. I need some help. Hold me accountable. That's okay. That's beautiful. Maybe you need to talk with a counselor. Uh, Maybe it's simply a matter of, of just having little reminders This week, I put a reminder on my phone. We're going to make available this coming week a reminder based on this sermon. We'll roll it out on social media so you can look at your phone and look at your computer. And remember, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
Maybe you need to remind yourself of your identity in Christ. Whatever it is, let God change your heart. Imagine what would happen if we as a church became known as a people of encouragement. Oh yeah, we'll have hard conversations, but what if our encouragement so overshadowed all the hard conversations we think we need to have? And what if we encouraged one another and built one another up instead of constantly trying to tear one another down? I'm confident we could reach this city for Christ. I'm confident we could reach the state for Christ. I'm confident our influence knows no bound. If only we could tame our tongues. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 